Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and uh, welcome to GodPod 56. I am reliably told it is number 56. So um, we are getting rather old. Um, but uh, today it is a great pleasure to have with us Jane. Hello. And um, we also have Stephen Backhouse with us. Hello again. Uh, Stephen, as you know, if you're a regular listener to, listen to GodPod, Stephen's been on one or two um, GodPods before. He is our tutor in social and political theology here at St. Paul's Theological Centre and St. Melitus College. So um, it's great to have you with us, Stephen. Good. And nice um, to be here. We are going to pitch into uh, a number of questions that have been emailed through to us, uh, surrounded by our, well, not surrounded by, we are, we are actually around a table with our normal collection of um, biscuits and coffee. And but without our normal collection of Mike Lloyd, sadly. Mm. So no. the biscuits will probably be neglected. Well, yeah, they will. And we don't have also his sort of dried bananas and... Um, um, I just thought you can say his dry wit. <laughs> <laughs> no, without that as well. Without that as well. But no, he's got, he has a strange taste in food, doesn't he? He also has some other odd things that he brings with him. Homemade I think he's being very, cake. very healthy nowadays. He's very, very healthy. Yeah. yeah, probably more so than we are. But anyway, we are going to pitch into some questions which um, have come through to us. Thank you for all of those uh, people who've emailed in questions very to good, us. Very good, yeah. Uh, so, some really good questions in there. And a lot of, and uh, as we always say, we, it's a shame we haven't got more time to, to deal with them. But um, uh, we've picked out two or three today which we thought were particularly interesting. And uh, the first one is one that um, came from someone called Mark Davis in, uh, in Cardiff. So uh, the question here is... Um, Borrowed our Mark. Oh, yeah, yeah, we are, we are multilingual. <laughs> God pod. Um, Canadian, English, and Welsh. <laughs> exactly. I, have, I, I, do, I, know, I know a sentence in Welsh. Croeso e goligies i'r gwasanaeth honno chwi'r alweddi a ddydd goel dewi. If you know Welsh, you will understand that, but if you don't know Welsh, you won't. And what it actually says is, Welcome to Jesus College uh, for this service of Evensong on St. David's Day. And the reason why I know that sentence is because I was once chaplain of Jesus College of in course, Oxford, yes. where I had to introduce the St. David's Day service in Welsh every year. So um, my father-in-law, who speak, spoke Welsh, um, taught me this sentence, which I can say perfectly, as you just heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not completely useless in any other context, but uh, there it is. So Mark, hopefully you, um, if you speak Welsh, you, you will have enjoyed so far. But um, the question, thankfully, is not in Welsh. It's in English. And um, the uh, it's, a, it's a question connected to the theology of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who um, know a bit about what we do uh, know that a little while ago we had a conference on the theology of the Holy Spirit. You may have listened to one of the earlier God Pods where we uh, talked about that with uh, Miroslav Wolf and David Ford. Um, but his uh, Mark's question is this. There's a great deal of emphasis in the New Testament on the intimate communion of the Father and the Son, but the same is not said of the Holy Spirit's relationship with the other members of the Trinity. It can sometimes seem, seem as if the relationship between the Father and the Son are of chief importance, while the Holy Spirit is just tagged on. I've heard the Spirit described as the bond of love between the Father and the Son. Uh, is the Spirit himself not loved by the Father and the Son? If he's not loved in the same way, does this make him less of a person? So uh, well, I guess it's a question about the role of the Spirit within the Trinity. And so um, I don't know who wants to kick off on this one. It's a really good question, isn't it? I mean, the the, the phrase "the bond of love" um, comes from Saint Augustine of Hippo from the fourth yeah. century, um, and 
And what Augustine really is saying is that the Holy Spirit is actually the love between the Father and the Son. So he's not saying that it, that there would. He's sort of saying there there would be no love without the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's of course a, an unimaginable thing to say, but he is suggesting that what the Father and the Son give to each other is only possible because the Holy Spirit is is the love. And Augustine has often been accused of depersonalizing the Holy Spirit by using that phrase. But I think he would argue that he's actually personalizing the whole Godhead. He's making the, it a relational mm. term. Mm. I knew you'd defend Augustine. <coughs> Thank you, yes. <coughs> it's my job to did. defend Augustine under all circumstances. <laughs> Does that have a connection? I just was looking up the baptism of Jesus narrative in Matthew. I mean, because the, the, the dove descends mm. and then God says, this is my son whom mm. I love. Is that is that? Does it, is Augustine building on that? Is well, that where he's drawing it from? He is building on that. And also um, on Luke's, Luke is particularly strong on the fact that the whole of the incarnation is made possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who, who comes uh, to enable Mary to carry Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who descends at the baptism. Uh, and Luke has a very strong sense of the, of the Holy Spirit as the one who, as it were, keeps the human Jesus connected mm. with the Father. So precisely mm. um, unpacking um, what Augustine is talking about, the bond of love. Yeah. Well, that's right. I, mean, I think Augustine, yes, you're right. I mean, Augustine can be accused of, of depersonalizing the Spirit or, or um, making the Spirit into the sort of glue that holds the Father and the Son um, together. But I think there is another dimension of, of, of what Augustine talks about when he talks about the Holy Spirit, which is, is the Spirit's connection with with us and and. and and our relationship to the Trinity. Because I think Mark is actually right. It's very interesting how in the New Testament you don't get language about the Father loves the Spirit or that the Son loves the Spirit or the Spirit loves the Father and so on. You get lots of language of the love between the Father and the Son, but you don't get that same language about the Spirit. And obviously Mark's question is, does that mean that the Spirit is rather unloved by the other two? And um, clearly the answer is, is no. But I think the reason why that is the case is because the Spirit's role in, this, in the Trinity is a little bit different. His, his personhood is, a, is, is, is um, if you like, on the same level, but we're talking about different, uh, f- different functions and roles within the Spirit, it's, within the Trinity itself. And I, I often feel a bit uncomfortable with some expressions of what's called the, the social Trinity, the idea of, of um, you know, this sort of dance of love between the three persons of the Trinity where it's about a community of three people who all love one another, and uh, in one sense, I can get that. But there's part of me that thinks, well, does that quite work? Does that get the differentiation between the persons of the Trinity? And I suppose, again, following um, Augustine's line, and also following Calvin, I think, who's, uh, I think he's very, very interesting on the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Calvin's, so the, the thing he, I think he adds to, to, to Augustine is, is the idea that the Spirit is, is not just the bond of love between the Father and the Son. He is, if you like, the bond between, between us and the Father and the Son, that the Spirit... He gets sp- that from Augustine. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> everything comes from Augustine. <laughs> it's got yeah. brought to you by Augustine. <laughs> you know, I, think he, I think he would be quite happy with that attribution. That's fine. Um, but, you know, his idea is that the... Although what he was quite strong in Calvin's theology is the idea that the Spirit unites us with Christ. And, um, and I think what he's picking up there is the sort of language of, of Romans 8, where, you know, the Spirit enables us to call out Abba, Father, to use that same language towards the Father as Jesus used, uh, in other words, to bring us into the same relationship with the Father as Jesus had. So it seems to me what, what the Spirit does, I think, is to is to draw us into the love between the Father and the Son, 
by uniting us with Christ so that we can know the same love for for ourselves as Jesus did. And um, and there's something very profound about that, I think, that mm. idea that what the Spirit does is to draw us into Christ, unite us with Christ so that we know the love of the Father, not just in a sort of abstract, intellectual, distant sense, but in a really powerful, immediate, intimate, experienced way. Um, the um, Eastern Orthodox theologian Vladimir Losky uses a very, very vivid phrase, which is almost shocking in its vividness. He says the Holy Spirit finds its incarnation in the faces of the saints. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I think that's sort of saying, you know, in a very pictorial way, what, what you're saying, that actually yeah. um, the love between father and son is, can be reflected in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We yeah. can actually be drawn yeah. into that. That's right. But God, God became man so that man might become God. Well, indeed. That, gets, that yeah. phrase gets used in the <laughs> Orthodox tradition it as does. well. Yeah, it does, yes. But I think also when you, when you start thinking about the Spirit uniting us with Christ so that we know the same relationship with the Father as Christ does, it, I think there's another dimension to that also, which is that if, if the Spirit does unite us with Christ, he unites us both, you know, that that's an expectation that we will know the love of the Father, but it's also an expectation that we will know something of the, the suffering of the Son as well. And it strikes me that often that, you know, that prayer we often pray, you know, come Holy Spirit is actually a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a wonderful prayer, but it's also quite a dangerous prayer in one sense, because actually it's inviting God to, to, to draw us into this, this intimate relationship of love between the Father and the Son, so that we may, we might know that warmth and embrace of the Father. But it's also inviting us, inviting, you know, more expecting us to be drawn into the, the suffering of the son as well as as he as he sort of interacts with the with, mm. with the world and mm. so um i think that's something of, 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 of what the spirit does and i think it's partly why the spirit is not talked about in terms of that same love relationship if you like the the, the thing that holds reality together the, the 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 kind of bedrock of all things is this love between the father and the son that seems to be what Trinitarian theology teaches mm-hmm. us, and the Spirit mm-hmm. is the one who draws us into that, and in fact draws the whole of the world into that as well. But, uh, the Spirit, lang- in church history, the Spirit language is often connected to the, well, the beginning of the church. So when Jesus gives, mm. he gives his Spirit at Pentecost. That's kind of the beginning of the church. That's God's work on earth, isn't it? So is that significant at all to, to talk about Spirit language? I mean, all the things you've just mm. been talking about, mm. how yeah. our love for God yeah. or our, our actions in the world, really yeah. that takes place within the yeah. a boundary of the church or ecclesiology. So and can we remind- talk about the Spirit as God's work in the world through the church? Uh, well, I think that's, that's right, in, in, through the church and sometimes perhaps outside it as well, mm. in, in that um, there's quite a strong connection, it seems to me, between the Spirit and creation. If you think Genesis 1 verse 2 the spirit broods over the creation. The spirit is involved in the bringing to being of, 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 of the created order. There's that section about you know Psalm 104, I think it is, where um, you know when you're uh, when the spirit comes, the creation is renewed. Um, and there's a very strong theme again within within sort of Greek patristic theology that the spirit is the one who who brings creation to its fulfilment. You know, who perfects all living things. I think it's Saint Basil who says that. And so. Um, it does seem quite impersonal, though, to come back to the question. But, I mean, I, but I think that one of the, the really important things that the impersonality, in a sense, of the Holy Spirit reminds us of is that we don't actually know what we're talking about when we say God is personal. Yeah, we right. know it's appropriate, mm-hmm. 
but um, but the Holy Spirit constantly reminds us that actually Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that whatever personal means in relation to God, it's not something that we fully understand. The Holy Spirit is utterly personal. It's just that we aren't yet. Yeah. We we don't yes. know what personal means. Yeah. Um, and it's, that is something about the nature of religious language, isn't it? Yeah. That it's like saying, you know, God is Father. While in, you know, that that's that's as close as we can get to understanding how God relates to us. It's not that. He is ultimately father. We, we know roughly what fathers are like because we've, we've got them and, and some of us are fathers and so on. But um, but our experience of fatherhood doesn't define who God is. It's also almost more the other way around. Mm. And, and the same is true of personhood as well, I think. Yeah. So, um, very interesting question there about um, the Holy Spirit. And so Mark, I hope that um, helps in some way to, um, um, to relate to that question. Just moving on to another one. Um, this is one from someone with a fantastic name. Uh, this is someone called Roger Luther. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I love that name. I wish I had it. Maybe I should um, change my name by deed poll. But, um, <laughs> so I don't you'd, know, you'd rather to be Luther Luther. Uh, Luther Luther. With Luther as your middle name. You'd like to be Luther Luther Luther, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that could get rather confusing, I think. So, so Roger, I don't know whether you're, you're related in any way to, um, to Martin. Um, I thought you'd Martin would called Roger, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> what does Luther mean in German? What? Well, it was, his original name was Luder. Luder. And um, he sort of changed it to Luther, uh, partly because um, uh, it was sort of seemed a bit more sophisticated than the rather sort okay. of dull medieval German name Luder. Um, but also he used to play on this this sort of Greek phrase, Eleutherius, which is um, it's freedom, isn't it? I mm. think that word, that, that word means. And, oh, and, wow. And when he was, he was sort of dabbling with the whole kind of Renaissance humanist thing when he was at university. He was never really a humanist. Uh, uh, by humanist, I mean not, not sort of um, atheist. That's not yeah, yeah. modern humanism, but medieval humanism. Rasmus Renaissance humanism. Humanism, Exactly. Um, so he, he, that's why he kind of, he used to have a little sort of joke play on his name. Okay. Um, but... Um, so anyway, so, this is not I hope you're all the picking up the fact that Graham is a Luther nerd. <laughs> a Luther, yes, yes, a bit like, a bit like Jane is an Augustine nerd. We all our heroes. <laughs> yeah, actually, fair enough. <laughs> I'm about to talk about mine because I know what this question is. Uh, yeah, you're a Kierkegaard nerd. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're all nerds in one way or another. Um, anyway, Roger Luther, uh, of the fantastic name, has a great question, which is... Um, yeah, uh, this is uh, a question about eternity. Uh, this is the question he has. He says, um, uh, how do we cope with eternity? I know it's a bit of a caricature, but in what sense can I expect to spend an infinity of time worshipping? I get bored after about 20 minutes in a big <laughs> worship session in church. So um, he's probably not alone in that. Um, so, yeah, what about eternity? I, you know, we get these ideas, don't we, of, um, I suppose, the, the, the stereotypical idea of heaven is... Sitting on a well, sitting on a cloud with a harp, and um, I do remember seeing a cartoon actually. I think it's one of those um, Gary Larson cartoons of of someone sitting on a cloud with a harp, looking very bored, and saying, "Hmm, wish I'd bought a magazine." <laughs> <laughs> yes, constantly <laughs> and, um, casting down our golden crowns exactly. around the glassy sea. <laughs> and you think it might get a little bit dull after a few millennia, just sort of playing the harp, or or he's sitting in a worship session, or in church, or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, yeah, how do we cope with eternity and this? But you know, more seriously, sort of Christian vision of being in the presence of God, worshiping Him with all of the, you know forever and ever and ever. So, what do you think? Oh, oh can I can I get philosophical? Is yeah, it, is go, it yeah, too early on. in the go morning? Oh, here we are. Okay, I I, I, li- I like this. So, 
basically it comes down, I think it comes down to, and I'm drawing a lot from my hero, Kierkegaard here. Um, you've got two, we've got two ways of looking at time, right? And we have a temporal way. We think of it in terms of a timeline and you have the past, the present and the future, you know, and we think of it as if it exists on some, some line that you could see. Hmm. Problem is, is that the present, if ever you put your finger on the, on the line, it disappears. So whenever, if we say this is the present now, it's instantly become the past. Hmm. And Kierkegaard says, well, what does, that, what does this mean? The, the present doesn't exist on a timeline, but clearly it exists because we all live in the present. And, and Kierkegaard says, not only does the present exist, it's, it's one of the most important things about us. It's the one thing that we all share. So we live in the present with each other. Every human who has ever lived has lived in, in the present. And it's, it's a way that we can connect to each other. And then Kierkegaard says, and that's how God lives. God lives in the present mm. as well. Mm. And so, and Kierkegaard says, that is what eternity is. It's the, it's the eternal present. Mm. It's not, and he was he was deliberately going for this kind of view mm. that mm. that um, Roger sort of quite rightly pointed out. Mm. Kierkegaard is saying the eternity is not lots of time that just extends forever and ever and ever. Mm. It's not time at all. Mm. It's it's the eternal present. Yeah, and and you only know other people when you know them in the present, and you only know God when you meet Him in the present. So for mm. Kierkegaard, he said the the moment he called it the moment or the the oiblika the which in English translated as I blink, which is slightly wrong because it's not when your eyes are closed that Kierkegaard was worried about. It's that moment when your eyes are open and you see everything all at once at the mm. same time. Mm. And for him, he said that is what eternity is. So that, there was something I, that I enjoyed thinking that, that way when I think about eternity. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's a real issue, isn't it? I remember reading there's a very interesting little short story by Julian Barnes, I think it is, in, in his book... Um, History of the World in 13 and a half chapters, where he writes about this person who who dies and goes to, well, he never quite says whether it's heaven or hell, actually, interestingly enough, but he goes to wherever it is you go after um, death. And um, it's a place where all your desires are fulfilled. And so he is asked, well, what, what do you want to do? And so he said, oh, well, um, I'd like to meet all the famous people that have ever lived. And so all these people sort of come up to him and, you know, Elizabeth I and <laughs> Adolf Hitler and you know, Galileo. And they, they, they all kind of come up to him. And, and after a while, he's, he's met them all. And so he thinks, hmm, what, do I, what do I do now? And then he says, well, I'd like to, um, I'd like to, I'd like to improve my golf. And so, you know, he's, <laughs> he starts playing, playing golf and gets better and better. And, and so, until he gets to the point where actually he can go around any golf course in, the, in, the, in heaven uh, in 18 shots, 18 holes in one, and he does it every single time. Is yeah. that good? And uh, it is quite good. <laughs> it's quite good, yes. <laughs> well, it is good. And it, that's an interesting question, see. Is it good or not? It's good in the sense mm. that it's, you know, it's it's great to be able to do that. Yeah. But and there's this great line that says, you know, golf was used up. In other words, there's no mm. point in playing it anymore. Because yeah. if you can go around in 18 shots, what's it's the point? Mm. In other words, you know, and he goes through all these different things where basically you get to the end of, uh, of, of everything you want to do and you do it perfectly. You've done everything. And uh, at the end of uh, several thousand millennia he chooses to switch off the light in other words he right. chooses to go into nothingness mm. and it's a very interesting meditation on exactly this sort of mm. rather debased view of heaven that actually the idea of heaven is unending time mm. just doesn't work uh, and our sort of views of heaven were, oh, wouldn't it be great to be in a place where everything you know i get everything i want and i can do whatever i want well actually that doesn't really work in all kinds of ways well for a number of different reasons mm. but i which i think is why you know the approach you 
you know, your highlighting does help to begin to answer that. Well, it, it, it has a, a direct connection to, to faith, actually, in, in Jesus as well, because it, it's the, the old cliche, you know, God has no grandchildren. You know, the, the idea that there's no, we're all first-hand disciples. There's no, we all have to face and make that decision about Jesus, hmm. you know, for ourselves in the immediately we can't just rely on the fact that our parents made some decision about Jesus or that our culture did sometime in history. Mm. You know, every, every new generation, it, it's, you know, they're the ones who have, we have to each face that yeah. ourselves in, and in the present. We basically have to live presently or in the moment with Jesus. So the best kind of worship <laughs> is not where you suddenly, where you think this is going on for 20 minutes, but where no. actually yeah. you're, it, yeah. you're utterly filled with it. Yeah. Uh, and you, it wouldn't occur to yeah. you to, to notice how long it was yeah. taking. And there are moments, aren't there? I mean, both in worship and in other yeah. parts of life, where it almost, it's almost as if time is suspended. When there's something about, you know, I know you're in a concert and the music yeah. is so so good, mm. or you're in mm. a particular location where there's a just the, the, the view is just fantastic, or, or you're, you're with doing a group God of pod friends, or <laughs> oh, exactly, or listening to God pod <laughs> while when, golfing. <laughs> when, when, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, listening to Godpod just feels like an hour, only <laughs> five minutes. But, yeah. but there are moments when it almost yeah. as if time is suspended. Yeah. For a brief moment, it's, you, you lose, we talk about losing track of time, you know, you, yeah. you, you lose a sense of it. And you feel like you are living in just for that tiny sort of segment of, of time in that eternal yeah. present, in that eternal now. And maybe those are the, the closest we get to experiencing what it means to be in eternity. Um, when we are aware that there is something so much bigger than than we are, and worship is one of those is, is mm. where, where that comes into to focus for it for us. I like I like how it's so easy to imagine as well. I mean, th- that's a really real experience. We've all had that experience yeah. of timelessness. It isn't yeah. some alien thing which we have to imagine. What would it be like to be in church for eternity, or what yeah. would it be like to be yeah. in a worship service that lasts for a million years? You know, we don't have that's to imagine that. We we actually it's very yeah. human to think about a timelessness. Mm. Yeah, it, it, is. it isn't actually that difficult to put yourself in that position. And yeah. I also think it's really helpful, Stephen, what you said. I mean, that that God is simultaneously present in all time at all times. Yeah. Mm. So now is the time when you will meet God. Well, in, as in yeah. Hebrews, it's a today yeah. when you yeah. hear His voice. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like I mean, back to Augustine again. You'll like this, Jane. It's that, that's that little bit we has where um, he talks about time and God. I think it's in the Confessions, isn't it? Where he, um, the time for God is a bit like it's a bit like a poem that you have in your head. Um, in one sense, you, you know, you can read out a poem and you go through word by word, line by line, and as you read it, it's it's sort of sequential. But actually, if you've if you've memorized that that poem, it's in your head all the time, mm. and it's a bit like that for God. You know, we experience time as something that's, that's sequential, yeah. word by word, mm. line by line. But it's as if God has the whole of time in His his mind at one at, at, at one moment as it yeah. were um, yeah. so it's not like he's he's you know enclosed in time in quite yeah. the same way so it's not that, that he are. foreknows things it's not that he decides in advance what we're going to do it's that there is not that sequence yeah. of things exactly. that we yeah. experience for yeah. God well I, I mentioned it in passing but I think it's worth reading out the Hebrews uh, Hebrews 4 7 a little bit onwards because there's that interesting passage where he says therefore God again set a certain day calling it today when a long time later he spoke through David as was said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts I love that because that's mm. the writer of Hebrews is recognizing that yeah. 
God has set a certain day and he just calls it today. So whenever it is you hear God's voice, it's today. Yeah. It's right now. I like that a lot. That's fantastic. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, Well, there's something a little bit. We've done the Holy Spirit. We've done eternity. Done. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Tick. (laughs) Not quite. Um, We got to the end of another God pod. I wonder if it's worth mentioning in case it can be heard, the the, the worship going on over Eternal. Our it's eternal worship. <laughs> <laughs> we are yeah, actually recording right. this in a little studio um, at, in the basement of Holy Trinity Brompton, Holy Trinity Church in Brompton, and there clearly is some worship going on in the church. So if you hear it in the background, just yeah. take it to the angels. It's a kind of sign that here we are doing our theology right at the heart of the church, like we always say we do. So anyway, uh, Jane, thank you very much, as always. Great to to chat. And Stephen as well. Thank you. And um, here endeth GodPod 56. GodPod 57 will be along very shortly. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.